Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. The CEO and founder of the Global Autism Project, Molly Ola Penny, is back on the show to talk about all things leadership. The Global Autism Project provides sustainable, clinical, administrative, and leadership training to autism centers seeking guidance. SkillCore is an opportunity for self-advocates and professionals to travel to our partner sites around the world and work directly with their local teachers and therapists. If you'd like to learn more about the history of the Global Autism Project and the mission that drives our work, please listen to my conversation with Molly in Episode 2. In today's conversation, we discuss why leadership training has always been at the foreground of the support we provide, what values are important to her as a leader, and how her leadership skills have evolved over the years. Molly opens up about her fears from the early days of the organization and shares how she's learned to overcome them. She explains what this year has taught her and why she thinks decisive action is only one aspect of being a strong leader. With close to 20 years of experience providing leadership training to professionals around the world, Molly announces an exciting new initiative at the Global Autism Project. Our transformational leadership program is now available for you to access, all from the comfort of your own laptop. If you want to learn how to communicate and collaborate effectively, how to identify the root causes of roadblocks in your life, and how to embrace your role as a leader, I really encourage you to stay with us until the end of this episode to hear more about the program. You can sign up for Leadership Academy at globalautismproject.org. In this episode, discover what's possible when you engage your inner leader. And now, I bring you Molly Ola Penny. Hi, Molly. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Maybe my favorite. So we wanted to do this episode on leadership because it's a common theme on this podcast. Yeah. You know, our partners all over the world are leaders in their communities, and the various guests that we bring on are also inspiring change in others through the stories that they share. And, you know, we thought who better to bring on the show to talk about leadership than our CEO of the organization. So today we'll be covering many sides to this topic. Awesome. So Molly, first, could you explain why leadership training has always been at the foreground of the support we provide to our international partners? It's a great question. I think it's one of those things that the Global Autism Project has been best known for clinical practices and business practices, but really, of course, wrapped around and underneath and all the way through has had to be leadership training and not just leadership training in terms of like the pragmatic how to be a leader, but really getting people to see themselves as leaders, to show up in the world as leaders, to believe themselves to be leaders, because honestly, and we've been, you know, (laughs) saying this since, I don't know, the early days, like, It doesn't really matter if you have the best clinical services in all the land or you even have the best support services in all the land. If you cannot deliver them from a place of leadership, if you cannot use your leadership to invite other people to join you in the work that you're doing, it really doesn't matter. 
right? It does not make that impact. And I think that's where we've gotten to over the last 17 years, really hone in like, what is leadership? What do we think leadership is? And who are leaders? You know, we sort of have this idea that there's this natural born leader and then the rest of us are leaders or not, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for all of our work, for everything we've been doing with our regional summits, with our global summits, with our skill core program, leadership training and development has been at the forefront of what we're doing so that the work actually works and we're able to create a movement of people. Mm -hmm. Could you just talk a little bit about that movement and, you know, just a kind of overview of what's happening around the world with attitudes of autism and why this is important, why we are trying to instill leadership in our partners? Yeah, absolutely. So in the last 17 years, when you talk about attitudes towards autism, we have seen a global seismic shift in terms of not only attitudes towards the autistic community and also the resources, right? In 2003, when I started the organization, it was because on my dial-up internet cafe in Ghana in 2003, it was nearly impossible. And actually, it was a satellite internet cafe. It was a fancy one. But <laughs> it was nearly impossible to find resources. And what I found were more people around the world looking for services for their child. And, you know, had it stopped at just finding services for your own child, it wouldn't have created the changes in the attitudes and the ideas around autism, right? It is... Mm -hmm. Now, when I go online and I interact with some of the people who live in countries where they're one of very few people working with kids with autism, they're like, my kid and all the others, you know, it's like they're taking on that leadership or taking on that role of really making sure that when their kid gets services, everybody gets services, right? So I think kind of the importance of leadership in that is so clear, right? It's like you need you need a voice. You need something to kind of rally around and follow. The other place that we've seen a lot of leadership in over the years in terms of attitudes and shifting towards autism is a growing and more organized and more well-led voice of the global autistic community. And that's been really important as well. So I think, you know, when we look at how things have changed in 17 years, it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, you just can't even imagine where we were 17 years ago when you see where we are today. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to think about what is to come, right? Like we continue this work, we continue building leadership skills in leaders who will then develop it in people they're training, and it's just a ripple effect and it goes on from there. Yeah, and we're seeing it, right? We really see it. And I think about our partner in India, right? A mom who is so passionate and so dedicated in getting services to her own kid. And she moved away from her city to get services. And that's great. And that makes a difference. And it's important to make a difference for one kid. And there's a lot on people's plates. And also, when she is showing up as a leader for the movement, when she's showing up, giving people information about autism, supporting other parents and organizing people, it's like, that's where you see that intergenerational, like it will go on legacy level shifts, you know, right. so it's really cool. Yeah. Molly, what are some of your ideas of what it means to be a strong leader? And how does that compare to other ideas people may have of leadership? You know, ultimately, I think that there's no one right way to be a leader. I think that a lot of people feel like 
you know, I'm not outgoing enough or I'm not charismatic enough or I'm not a people person. And what I've come to see over the years is that all of those types of leadership work, whether you're someone who's leading with vision and action, whether you're someone who's leading with empathy, it's like there's a spot for all of that. And some of that's going to resonate, you know, better with others. And I think in terms of what is a strong leader, it's someone who recognizes where they are inclined to lead from and also is mindful of that, right? And sort of not, I don't want to say compensates, but really just just keeps that in context and makes sure that they're consistently looking at, you know, if I'm someone who leads from a place of vision and action, how do I inject more empathy into my leadership? Mm-hmm. It's a fun question. And there's, to me, there's no one answer. You know, I think it really varies. I think we see different styles of leadership being effective all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I guess sometimes people imagine a strong leader to be someone who's really authoritative and very opinionated and like knows what they want and is able to delegate efficiently and effectively. And sometimes that might not be the best leader for that team. Yeah. You know, we've talked about people being natural leaders or just fitting into roles kind of organically, would you say that everyone has the potential to be a leader in some capacity in their lives? Or, you know, like sometimes you hear people who would prefer to take the back seat and let others drive. Mm -hmm. Is there such thing as too many leaders in the world because we need followers in certain positions? I think the reality is a lot of people are not even leaders in their own lives. When I talk about leadership, I'm not necessarily talking about rallying groups of people around you, but taking on leadership in your own life. And when you really look at who's making the decisions and who's driving the show of your own life, where are you giving up that leadership? I will also share that I've had a number of people in my life who have said, I'm just not really a leader. It's just really not for me. And we've said, okay, got it. That, you know, got it. And then we do a really cool exercise with skill core with some of our leadership training where it's like, okay, I don't know myself to be a leader, but what if I was, what would that look like? And some of our strongest leaders are people who were like, I could try it on. I could, I could see what it's like. And it's like, oh my gosh, when we think about leadership, we think about, like you said, like really authoritative and really sometimes demanding and, you know, and yes, there's decisive action that needs to be taken. And also there is an opportunity to lead from where you are. You know, I talk a lot about doing with and not for. And I think leadership is the same, right? Like lead together. Like I'm not going anywhere. My team's not gone. Right. I remember you saying one time, the goal of the leader is to make sure their team wins. And the goal of the team is to make sure their leader wins. Yeah. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's a place where we all win. Mm -hmm. And it's a really powerful place to be. And it's a place that as we navigate the world, we don't necessarily think about that. We think about there are winners and there are losers. And that's the way it goes. And I think when you look at the leader from like the leader's going to win and the team's going to lose or the team's going to win, the leader's going to, it's like, that doesn't work, you know? Right. So what values are most important to you as a leader? That's a good question. Ultimately, I think communication is one, you know, we teach a lesson called no difficult conversations. And that is really just about creating the possibility <laughs> Of no difficult conversations. I think communication is definitely one. I firmly believe that anything in the world can be solved through communication. 
And it depends where you come from in that conversation, you know? And I think that it's like, you can't help but look around the world and look around the divides in this country and the world and say like, have you ever just talked about it? Like, have you ever just had a conversation? So I think my primary value in leadership is communication. And what I have found running a company for close to 20 years is that you kind of can't communicate too much about what's going on, what's in your world, what's in your space, what's coming up for you. And then I think that, you know, another value is really just, it's not so much a value, but being decisive, right? And being confident in that decisiveness is is important mm-hmm. in leadership as well. So yeah, but my primary one is definitely communication. <laughs> right. I can definitely second that. Yesterday during our partner call, we went around and we were talking about what we've learned about leadership, which we'll get to later in this conversation too. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I shared was that I really become present to the power of language. And I think You know, to your point of being able to communicate during difficult or challenging conversations is so important because, you know, what we say matters and what we don't say matters too. And so just being in that space of not being afraid to speak up for what needs to be said is really powerful and can change how other people are perceiving that situation also. 100%. And I remember, I've been really fortunate over 2020 to do some executive coaching with some folks who run big companies. And one of the things that I share with them is a practice that changed my life entirely, probably about six-ish years ago, which is literally at the end of the day, I, in my head, go, is there anything I stepped over? Is there any communication that I just stepped over? Is there anything that I let slide? Is there anything, you know, and that was a work in progress, right? It was like, I first started with making a list of like what I'm tolerating in my life, at work, at home, whatever, because what you tolerate is what you get, right? And then what I realized is I looked at that tolerate list. It was like, oh, I'm tolerating this person who's doing X, Y, Z, and it's driving me nuts. And oh, I guess it's been driving me nuts for six months. So six months ago, I had an opportunity to be in communication. So that practice of like what got stepped over makes such a difference. That practice of like, what at the end of the day is incomplete and just cleaning it up in that moment. And when you look at communication as, you know, this complex interaction, it's daunting and it's frightening, right? When you look at it as like, there's something that's going to be said, there's something that's going to be heard. It's like, okay, cool. Let me, what wasn't said, what wasn't heard, right? So Mm -hmm. it it just clarifies all of that. Right. Okay, Molly, let's talk about how your leadership style has transformed over the years. As the story goes, you started the Global Autism Project (laughs) when you were 23. Yeah. But before then, were you always a brave risk taker? I was definitely one of those strange kids who presumed myself in charge of whatever it was. (laughs) You know, I think in third grade, I let the teacher know that she could go ahead and leave the room and I would quiet down the children. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just don't know where that comes from. And I was definitely sort of a, a ringleader, right? Like when I was in sixth grade, I created an after school haunted house activity. It was an after school activity because I'd met a friend who lived walking distance from the school. And it was literally a haunted house open to the public. I wrote an article, put it in the newspaper, you know, and people came. They, like, there's not much to do in a small town. And 
the parents of the kids would come and they'd say, you know, like, oh, who's in charge of this? And I was like, that's me. I'm the haunted house director. I was like, 11. <laughs> so, or 12, I don't know, sixth grade. So to answer your question, yes, and that was sort of what I thought leadership was, right? It's just kind of like being in charge of a group of people. I had a extensive background in summer camp. They start leadership training and development when you're literally 14 years old, right? But I thought that's what it was, just like being in a position and having other people in another position. And that was leadership. And so as I started the Global Autism Project and when we started running trips and we had people, you know, taking people out, it was like, I thought that leadership was just you're in charge, you you listen, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. very simple. And what I learned through doing that is that that's not what it was, right? It wasn't just like, you're in charge, you're in the position. And then that kind of further perpetuated the idea, I think, where it was like, you just, you're a leader or you're not, right? Mm-hmm. And then I sort of realized that like, no, it's a skill set. And there are skills that you can learn. And then I started to kind of learn more, you know, like, I've read pretty much any leadership book I can find, any website, any Forbes article, any Harvard Business Review, you know, like obsessed with it, right? It's just a just an interest. <laughs> and so then I saw, okay, yeah, it's a skill set. It's something that we can we can teach others to do. And what I have come to learn at my advancing age here, what I have come to learn 17 years in, and really in a way like 25 years in of leadership training and development is that yes, it's a skill set and there's no amount of skill that's going to create you as a leader, right? Like really leadership is an inside job. And I think that's what I have come to learn about leadership is that it's an inside job and you need to really look at where am I not even a leader in my own life? Mm-hmm. Where are things not working or not working as well as I want them to? Where are things falling apart around me? You know, and really it's yours. It's something that, you know, you decide that you're a leader, you decide what your leadership looks like, and the rest kind of falls into place. And then I would say in 2020, it's even been a step further, right? Where it's like, it's one thing to talk about all these things and say, like, you know, I've said for years, like, oh, leaders have to make hard decisions. And I, I don't know what the hardest decision I made was before 2020, frankly, what that even means, right? canceling the trips in early February, I learned what that means. Mm -hmm. And I learned the weight of, and then we had to make decisions about our staff. And, you know, and I knew that being a leader meant preserving the organization and being able to continue to exist, you know, and the two are not in conflict if it's done mindfully and carefully. And I think what makes it really challenging is when you're sort of put in that pressure cooker, right? And it's like, the decisions that you are making, you're just sitting there making, impact the lives and livelihood of people everywhere. And I think in those moments, what is most important is to have that sort of like iron string that you go back to, right? It's like the decision to cancel the trips was a really hard decision when I thought about flights and logistics and People are planning to go and they're going to be let down and they're going to be disappointed. And they're going to, when I think about all that, it's like an impossible decision to make. But when I think about like who I am as a leader, what is essential on skill core trips? What is the most important thing is people's health and safety. We've said it for years. And what we've meant is like bring a first aid kit. Now we're dealing with a global pandemic. What's most important is health and safety. Now it's an easy decision to make. 
I feel like that's kind of a roundabout way to answer your question, but it has been this evolution of just thinking like, oh, it's just people in charge of people to know it's like a much more nuanced and interesting role, really. Right. So over the years, as you came to learn this, were you faced with any fears along the way and how did you overcome them? Oh, yeah. I mean, all kinds of like, what will people think? Is this good enough? You know, I, in a leadership training I was doing recently, I was remembering that years ago, I received this really great award. And it was, you know, when you get these things, it's like, there's a fancy dinner and you go to the fancy dinner and then you give your talk and there are 10,000 people in the room. And that whole time I was at that, the whole, they told me I was winning the award. I was like, okay. You know, I'd been nominated for a few years. I was sort of okay with being the Susan Lucci of that's like an (laughs) old reference, right? But she was nominated for like lots of Emmys and I don't know if she ever won. But like, I was kind of okay with it. I was like, I'm okay with being the Susan. Like, it's cool. They nominate me every year. It's very sweet. We'll write these nice letters. And then I won it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, you have the wrong person, right? Like, what even? And so I cannot remember who I was sitting next to at all, but I can remember everything else about the room. You know, it was like this really fancy room, this really fancy dinner. And I'm sitting there and they're like, yeah, I've been following your work. It's like so great what you're up to. And I was like, I don't know who the person was that I felt like I could trust them. And I was like, listen, like we are making so many mistakes. Like we haven't figured this out. And he was like, yeah, of course you are. You're literally the only person trying to do it on the planet. And I was like, (laughs) oh, it was like, Like, I'll never forget that moment. It was like, oh my gosh. And I'm sitting here being like, I hope these people don't find out that we're making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So then that was a big shift. That was a big shift in leadership because now I didn't have the fear that people were going to find out that we were messing up. (laughs) You know, it's like, it was like now, literally, if you walk into a skill core orientation, the first thing I say is, we spent eight years at least and are still spending years learning what not to do. And a value in our organization is to embrace failure and really embrace it. Like it's like fail fast, learn faster. This is great, you know? And I think just really getting present to that fear and looking it straight in the face, right? Like I could be here 17 years later doing this podcast from that same place of like, oh my God, I hope they don't find out that we've messed up. It's like, no, I'm like, oh, we like really messed some stuff up along the way. Of course we did. You're literally the only organization trying to do what we're doing. And even if we weren't, of course we did. We're human beings, you know? So so I think there was a big kind of like imposter syndrome, fear of being found out. You know, when I started the organization, I hadn't finished my undergrad. And I was okay with people knowing that. And I knew the second I told them they were done listening. And what I realized later on is that like, I decided they were done listening. They weren't done listening. That's just a decision that I made. So I think really when like, when you really look at those fears and then you just say them and you just recognize that like, oh, that was over here with me. Like literally I would say like, oh, well, I haven't finished my undergrad. And then I would make the decision that they weren't listening anymore, but I made that up. Mm -hmm. And it's empowering when you realize that because then you don't have to believe it anymore. Yeah. You're like, I wrote that. Someone have an eraser, please. (laughs) (laughs) But let me just erase it real quick. I don't, that's not who I have to be. Like, that's not, you know, it's just not. And when you realize how much of other people's interpretations you made, it's very freeing. 
Yeah. Right. It's like, and you can look at it one of two ways. You can be like, oh my gosh, I made that up. I make everything up. This is terrible. I mess up everything I do. And you can say, how great. I made that up. <laughs> and I think in a lot of our leadership, a lot of our day-to-day lives, we make it up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as humans, right, like these fears are going to keep coming up and it's for sure, you know, I'm realizing also it's just a matter of what you do with the fears when they do come up. Yeah. So as the CEO of the organization, how do you measure your own performance as a leader? It has almost nothing to do with what I have done day to day. And it has to do with what the team has accomplished. It's an interesting question because that's not to say that I'm not consistently evaluating, seeing how things can work better, do better, right? But that idea of not stepping over things makes a really big difference, right? Just like cleaning everything up every day. But, you know, we had our biggest year ever in 2019. And yes, that had something to do with me, right? But what I really saw is that it had to do with people in the organization just Stepping the heck up. I mean, just like becoming people they didn't even know themselves to be over that year. And I think that for me, it's like back to that idea that you said, right? Like the team's job is that the leader wins, the leader's job is that the team wins. So I think when I think about performance and performance evaluation and performance measurement, it's that. And then really, I see my role as giving people autonomy and also having them aligned, right? There's the the matrix of autonomy versus alignment. We can link to it in the show notes or something because it's interesting, but really just like creating the alignment and creating the vision and kind of bringing everybody there. So yeah. So when I think about performance, I think that comes up and then ultimately what I go for, what I consider sort of like a job well done is that people are enjoying working here. You know, because what I realize is that I get to go to work every single day, literally doing my dream job, something that I dreamed about doing really, truly, right? I get to walk into that office that my dad and my wife and I built with our own two hands. Like all of it is just like, it's a dream realized every single time. And that's what makes it never feel like work in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that I really want everybody involved in this organization to be like living the dream in a lot of ways. Like they couldn't have landed at a better place for who they are and their skill set and their interests. Like as a BCBA, you might not have an opportunity to run a podcast somewhere else, you know, (laughs) and talk to people from around the world. But it's like, this is what you love to do. And it's like, when we get to put people into the spot of doing what they love to do, it just falls into place so awesomely and beautifully. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay, Molly, so back to what this year has taught you. You know, it's been a test for everyone in the world. Was there something you wanted to add about other lessons you've learned, specifically in the last few months? This year, (laughs) this year for everybody, right? It's like, there's something really beautiful, first of all, about this year, where it's like, we have all gone through it on whatever level, right? And there was that thing going around the internet. It's like, we're all in the same storm. We're not necessarily all in the same boat. Yes, and we haven't even all been in the same storm in my lifetime anyway, globally, right? And, you know, what this year has really done is it has it has just presenced the inherent uncertainty of life. You know, right now we all say like, oh, I'd love to do that, but you can't plan. You just can't plan right now. And it's like the reality is 
Tomorrow is no more or less uncertain than it was years ago. We're just now aware of it. We've just now seen things shift very quickly. That was always a possibility. That was always there. We just didn't look at it because that can be really scary. And I think the uncertainty, I just want to talk about that for a minute because the uncertainty is where the fear lies, right? And what I have seen in this year is, first of all, like amazing resilience, amazing resourcefulness, amazing creativity, and also huge levels of fear and huge levels of anxiety. I remember years ago, I read a study in college and it talked about how when people are diagnosed with a terminal illness and they have months to live, even if the diagnosis weeks later is it's a terminal illness and you have months to live, the hardest time is the in the meantime, the space in between, the waiting, when there's really the possibility that you're going to be okay and you're going to hear like, oh no, like you don't have this illness and you're fine. But it's like, that's what our mind does, right? It's like, it gets us so worried about worst case scenario. And that's just what happens, you know? So what I've learned about this year, and it's been really, really clear, is the uncertainty is what we're all afraid of right now, right? Like, whether we're leaders of companies, whether we work in companies, whatever, whether we're parents of kids, whatever, what we're worried about is the uncertainty. So there's two things. One, the uncertainty was always there. It's just more present to us. And two, what I have really learned this year is back to that value of communication. Even if you don't know <laughs> what it is that's going to happen, being in communication and saying you don't know is really powerful. We did a call a few weeks ago with our 2020 Skill Corps travelers, and it was literally here's what we know, here's what we don't know. And it was basically like, we know we're going to travel when we decide it's safe. We don't know whether or not the centers will be there. We don't know whether or not the airline will exist. We don't know whether or not orientation will be in New York. We don't know when it will be. We don't know. I mean, it was like the don't know list was so long and the call was almost two hours long. So I want to be sure everybody felt complete at the end of it. And people thanked me for days for that call. And it was a call of saying like, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. But they want to know that you know you don't know. <laughs> People are like, it was so helpful to hear that you don't know when the if the airlines will be there. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't know. We don't know mm-hmm. a lot, you know. But I think just being in communication with whatever is happening and being there with your team, really. I think that's what I've really seen this year is like our organization, we tried to pivot like as quickly as possible. You know, it was like, We knew in January we can go to China. Okay, great. We'll send everyone to these other countries. Some of the trips will be a little full. They'll have a good time. Then we knew we couldn't run any of our international trips. Okay, great. We'll do this leadership training. It'll be in person. It'll be in New York. No one will leave the country for a couple months. Okay, got it. Then we knew we couldn't do an in-person training. And we didn't know what was coming next. And so I remember having a conversation with my team that was literally like, listen, we're like basically in a sailboat. And the wind blew one way and we adjusted our sails. And the wind blew another way and we adjusted our sails. And now the wind's blown another way and we've adjusted our sails. And now we don't know where the wind is coming from or how strong it's going to be. So now we have to batten down our hatches, lower our sails, and we will see. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, whether you're in the middle of the ocean and that's what the captain tells you, or you're in an organization of someone who likes to use metaphors, it's like, oh, like, oh, you know, but just being able to have that conversation, be able to say like, listen, you don't know, I don't know, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And in the early days of the pandemic, we were literally like working out over Zoom together just to be like, let's just everyone in the boat, everyone stay, everyone. It was literally like, stay in the boat. That's all we need to do right now. Those were fun days. We should bring that back. I know. We should. We did <laughs> yoga. It was great. And it was like, we just stayed in the boat. We just stayed together. It's not like I had more information from one day to the next. In fact, most days I was like, now I know even less than I knew yesterday. I thought I knew this and now I don't know this. I thought I knew this and now I don't know this. But just being in communication and being in a place of, but like, I know who we are and I know what our values are. And I know that I don't know what it's going to look like and we're all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I think that really makes a difference. Yeah. So this might be a good time to share the exciting news that we have. You know, we're offering something new at the Global Autism Project. Yeah. So Molly, I'll let you go ahead and announce it. Yeah. I don't know if you remember back in March or April, I said to you all, what I do know is that this is going to be the best thing that ever happened for this organization. This is not to diminish the loss of lives. This is not to diminish the loss of jobs. This is not to diminish the challenges. But what I know is that this is going to be the best thing that ever happened for this organization. The things don't happen to us. They happen for us. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had no idea what that was going to look like. And none of us did, you know, but I know having been through hard times in my life on the other side of it is always like, oh, but if that quote bad thing didn't happen, these good things would have never happened. And I think where we are right now in the pandemic, though it is still going on, is still challenging. We are still, you know, there's a lot, right? At least right now, we are able to start to see some of the good that's come out of it. And that is what I knew, that whatever this looks like, it's going to be one of the best things ever happened for this organization. About three-ish months ago, we finally started to see what that was going to look like. One of the things that we've always wanted to do is have a much bigger reach. But as a society, we had ideas on what it is that we can do and not do in person and for live events. And our leadership training was something that we absolutely knew had to be a live event to have an impact, right? It's like we had rented out houses on the beach for it in the past. We'd rented out summer camps. It was a very immersive, focused experience. And there was, in our minds, no way that this could be virtual. And as society has shifted and now anything goes on Zoom, you can literally do anything. We have been able to create our leadership training as an online training. So this was something that was traditionally limited to our partners, attendees at Global Summit, and our trip leaders. And what we learned through doing it with all those people is how valuable it was and how much they appreciated it. And, you know, it was something that we kind of did once or twice a year. It was also one of our favorite things to do. I was like, ooh, it's Leadership Academy time. So this year has been really, really incredible for that. You know, and as we're in this pressure cooker of leadership, right, we've been able to really create an amazing online curriculum that gets at just what I was talking about, that leadership is an inside job. And while there are, of course, practical skills involved in all of it and what we're doing, 
the bigger focus, the bigger component is being a leader in your own life, in your own world, and really giving you a powerful place to stand, to operate from through all of this. So that is online officially, which is very exciting. I'm sure we'll put a link in the show notes to that. And, you know, we have taken about 80 people through it so far. And to be perfectly honest, I was even skeptical that people were going to get what they need to get out of Zoom calls. And I've had a couple people who have been to the live events and they're like, this is better. Like, this is amazing. And so that's been really, really cool. And I'm really just so excited. You know, what we're dealing with in our community on a very basic level is a lack of leadership and accountability. And this training brings this not only into the ABA and the autism space, but into the world, right? And so it's really exciting. As I said, you know, I used to think that leadership just meant putting someone in charge of a group of people and then ta-da, they were leaders. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in this field. We're seeing people who are graduating from grad school, they're BCBAs, they're in charge of a group of people, ta-da, they're leaders. And they don't have leadership training to make it happen. Yeah, I think the requirement unless it's changed recently, but when I got my BCBA certification and to be able to actually supervise people, all I had to do was an eight-hour training, which you know doesn't prepare you for how to be compassionate and how to have those difficult conversations. And you know, talking about what's happening in the field right now, I think it's kind of like that pink elephant in the room that maybe no one wants to say out loud or maybe people just aren't aware of. Absolutely. But, you know, you see a lot of companies who become, quote, like corporate, right? And so you have these clinicians, these BCBAs, these RBTs, registered behavior technicians who are feeling like they're just another number. And that comes from how leadership up at the top is trickled down and what people are seeing as role models in an organization, in in an agency. Yeah. I think one of the also really powerful things about Leadership Academy and what we're offering is that anyone can take it from whatever level that you're at. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be a C-level executive. You can be an RBT doing the groundwork and find value in who you are and who you're being with families, with your clients, with your coworkers. Yes, it's really, it is really powerful training. You know, we've run Core for over a decade. It is literally like 10 years of leadership training and training people to be a skill core leader is not an easy thing on any level. What skill core leaders are doing is going into the field and by field, I mean another country, another (laughs) time zone, another culture, right? And leading a group of people they've never met and creating that camaraderie and creating that bond and creating, they are, It's huge. It's huge what skill core leaders are taking on. And also when they've come back from trips, they're like getting a promotion at work, taking on new projects, not leaving the company they thought they were going to have to leave because they saw no way of making change from their little position, you know, and now they're there and they're making a difference and they're, it's amazing for everybody. So I think now we have the opportunity for entire companies to go through this. Mm-hmm. Now we have the opportunity for entire leadership teams to go through this and to create kind of a common language and an understanding and to create a workplace that works. Mm-hmm. And back to that idea of stepping over things, right? It's like we spend our whole lives stepping over things. 
because we don't know how we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to upset people. We don't want to whatever the reason is. And when you create an environment where you don't step over things and things get handled and people operate in full integrity, it's a really different place. Yeah. And ultimately targeting the why of why people are in this field. Yeah. You know, they want to help families. They want to help children. They want to teach them skills so that they can be more independent and just live better quality lives. And if they are better leaders in whatever position they're in and they have more self-awareness and they're able to work more efficiently because the company culture has been developed and nurtured, then looking at the impact that that's going to have on the families is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a ripple effect Mm -hmm. and it matters. Leadership matters. All right, everyone. So stay tuned to hear more about how to get access to our Leadership Academy training. Switching gears, Molly, you know, we're releasing this episode right before Thanksgiving in the U.S. And I know some families like to go around the table and talk about what they're grateful for this year. So I'll turn the question to you. What are you grateful for this year? Everything. I think good health. I think I'm more present to that than usual. You know, we're sort of Mm -hmm. all grateful for good health and family and friends. But yeah, good health. This team, this, I mean, I could not have had a better, stronger, just incredible team. I mean, what we have pulled off this year is, is nothing short of amazing. In February, we were looking at an organization that had zero revenue and zero opportunity to provide programs. And we created something from that. And I think that innovation is, I'm like, so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the knowingness that whatever comes our way, we're going to make it work. Mm -hmm. It's a different Thanksgiving, you know, every Tuesday before Thanksgiving in our office in New York, we had an office Thanksgiving. And it was, it was really special and really amazing. And yeah, we'll have to do it on Zoom this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so You know, I like to close the episodes with some words of advice to a group of people. Well, this time I'm curious because, you know, now 17 years after you started the organization, what advice would you give to 23-year-old Molly if you could time travel? You know, in some ways, I feel like 23-year-old Molly needs to give advice to 40-year-old Molly sometimes. Because <laughs> <laughs> 23-year-old Molly was like, we're starting Ghana and go all over the world. Like, how hard can it be? And I think 40-year-old Molly is like, do you have any idea what you're talking about, kid? <laughs> but I think that back to what I had said earlier, where it's like, you know, that person said, like, of course you're messing up. Like, you're the only person in the world doing this. I think that's what I would have said, like, you're going to get this wrong, like 99% of the time. And also, all you have to do is learn from it and keep going. And it doesn't mean anything about you. Mm -hmm. What it means is that you did something that didn't work. So make it work. All right, Molly, it's always fun to have you on the show. Yeah, I love it. Thanks again for chatting about a topic that we're all very passionate about at the Global Autism Project. Yeah, one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. As Molly mentioned, everyone has the potential to be a leader in their own lives. Our Leadership Academy program will allow you to discover who you are as a leader in your field 
and truly make the difference you're set out to do. You can sign up for Leadership Academy at globalautismproject.org. I'd like to close with a quote from Marianne Williamson that we frequently share at the Global Autism Project. It reads, quote, Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.